Hey, good morning, First City. Uh, welcome to our live streaming liturgy. If this is your first time joining us, uh, my name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. We're grateful uh, that you're joining us this morning. Hope you're hanging in there. Uh, another week of social distancing is in the past. Uh, at least here in Nebraska, it seems like we could be seeing some, some changes over the next few weeks. But at the same time, we recognize that this is uh, uh, an extended period of trial. This is a challenging season. And so just grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, just to spend some time being reoriented around God's Word. Uh, we're taking a hybrid approach here at First City. Uh, so this live stream and liturgy is meant to be a, a time where we gather together, albeit remotely, uh, around God's Word, uh, just to have our, our hearts refreshed, our minds refreshed in the truth of who God is, who God is and who we are. Uh, the liturgy uh, and the other elements of worship uh, are provided just as a way for you and your family to engage the rest of worship together. Uh, if family worship is something new to you, this is, again, first time you're joining us, uh, please check out our guide to the live stream and liturgy just to see how you can lead your family through uh, a time of worship. Uh, we want you to, to be able to experience the grace of this time and uh, to, to, to give you some guidance in the way that uh, you, can, you can experience worship even in your home. Uh, if you're watching this, if there's any way that we can pray for you, any way we can serve practical needs, uh, please let us know. Uh, either on our Facebook Live page or on our web page, there'll be a link uh, where you can click and just fill out a form and say, hey, I love prayer for this. Or if you need practical uh, needs that we can meet, there's a church ready and willing to serve in any way. And so even if you're not a part of First City uh, and you live in the Bellevue, uh, Sarpy County, Omaha area, and we can serve you, please let us know. We would love uh, to be able to do that. Uh, so that, by way of introduction, I want to call us to worship this morning from Matthew 11, 28 and 29. And Jesus says, For all who are weak and weary, come to me and find rest. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so church, this morning, come and find rest. Come and find rest from your work. Come and find rest from your performance. Uh, come and find rest from your fears and uncertainties. Jesus wants to refresh you and renew you in himself this morning. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time. Uh, even though this is less than ideal, even though uh, we recognize we wish we could be together, we still celebrate that your word goes out. We celebrate that we can be renewed and refreshed together. Uh, thank you for the common grace of technology. Thank you that even though we are in our individual homes, we are gathering still as a church around your word to hear truth spoken to us so that we can be shaped as your people. So this morning, I pray as we look at Romans 8 and the truth of who you are and what you've done, that we would be encouraged, we'd be humbled, but we'd also recognize your incredible love and grace towards us. So Father, Use your word and by your spirit this morning. Conform us into Christ. Give us joy in Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, cannot do. 
by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to flesh, but according to the Spirit. So last week, we began our spring sermon series in Romans 8. And of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible, uh, Romans 8 in some ways is unique in that it paints this very beautiful and powerful picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, of what it means to be in Christ. And so maybe unlike any other chapter in the Bible, it identifies our identity our salvation in Christ, our union with Christ, the the truth that we walk uh, by the Spirit, that we are now dead to sin and we've been transformed, that there's no condemnation for us. It also speaks of how we continue to walk in a world that is broken. And so there is suffering and our our hearts long to be renewed and for Christ to return and complete the work of salvation. And it also speaks of God's unbreakable, powerful love that sustains us through any trial, any difficulty. So Romans 8 is a beautiful word to us in any season, but I think especially in the season that we're in now, we need to have our hearts and our minds reoriented to who God is, what God has done, and who we are in Christ, that that may sustain us through this season. And there are so many voices, there are so many fears that we may have, there are so many things swirling around us and in us that seek to shape us. But to have the truth of the gospel presented in Romans chapter 8 is much needed life to our souls, life to our minds that can strengthen and sustain us. So last week we saw in verses 1 and 2 that the defining reality for those who are in Christ is that there's no condemnation. That the power of sin and death, the law of sin and death has been broken. We've been set free by the Spirit in Christ. And so that incredible truth serves as sort of the first punch of the, ver- of the chapter. But then following on the heels, verses 3 and 4 come as another punch. So there's this great one-two punch the Apostle Paul starts off with. And verses 3 and 4 remind us that this freedom that we have, our victory that we have, is through the power of God and God alone. Having been set free by the Spirit, we now walk according to the Spirit. And this truth is important for us to be reminded of because verse 3 opens with an incredibly humbling statement. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So a major component of the entire book of Romans is the Apostle Paul deconstructing the notion that we can earn salvation through our effort, through our moral discipline and our um, moral and religious actions, that we can even overcome sin and earn eternal life by keeping God's law and through our own strength, that, that we can earn eternal life and actually break free from the power of sin by being a good and honest person who treats others well or those who acknowledge God through religious activity. You see, on the surface, they might, that might sound good, On the surface, maybe that's sort of what you hold to. But here's the truth for us. Here's what Romans reminds us. Romans 8 reminds us here. There's a problem with this idea. Because no matter how good a moral code that we follow, no no matter how good our efforts, 
we are going to always, always fail because of the weakness of our flesh. It doesn't matter what standard. You could even have the standard of God's law itself, the highest standard of goodness and righteousness and justice. That could be the thing you are, are attempting to follow to earn eternal life and break the power of sin. But the truth is, you're going to fail because your flesh is weak. We are weak. We are sinful. We are broken. And so it doesn't matter what kind of standard is held in front of us. We're always going to come up short. So during this season of social distancing, something that's been on my to-do list, some goal that I have set is to get back to exercising and trying to get back in shape. 2019 was a great year for me for exercising. I, I actually got in really good shape and had a goal there. This year so far has been pretty terrible. And I, I thought, hey, some social distancing, changing in my calendar, not as much to do. I'll give more effort to exercising. And guess what? I haven't exercised once since this all has happened. And, and I have like a great workout program. I actually have like three or four great workout programs. I have um, the wor home workout videos that I've had for a long time, all ready to go on my DVD player. I have all the materials set up downstairs. I have everything laid out for me. I have the standard in front of me and the means in front of me. But here's the problem. I lack motivation. Every day when I wake up and I intend to go work out, ah, I'd rather do something else. Um, I, I can even get really pious and like, hey, I need to go read my Bible right now. But here's the problem is internally, I am lacking motivation. And so you can set uh, the, the best workout program in front of me. You can tell me about how great it will be if I get um, really good exercise, if, if I go and, and really try to get back in shape like I was before. But because I am weak, because I lack motivation, um, I'm not doing it. And so I need something more than just a standard set in front of me. But here's the other thing too, to, to press this uh, analogy a little bit deeper. Let's say I do get back in shape. Let's say I do um, follow that exercise plan and, and get back to where I wanted to be. Here, here's something that's also true about me. My body is still breaking down. I am still going to get injured. I still have limitations. I am still, as we talked about last week, I am still dying. So no matter how well I perform that exercise routine, I am never going to be perfect. It's never going to keep me from dying because there is a greater principle at work in me. And it is the same thing for us. No matter how good we may perform at our quote unquote standard, no matter how good we may think we can check the boxes and maintain a level of discipline, there is something deeper going on inside of us, something else that has a hold of us, apart from the grace of God, apart from the Spirit of God. That law of sin and death goes deep inside us. Our flesh is weak and corrupted. And so the word flesh here that the Apostle Paul uses talks about our human nature. Yes, the good, the beautiful aspects, but also the deeply broken and the deeply sinful and so we can have all of the best education. We can have the best philosophy and psychology and sociology and science. We can even have God's law and we were still going to fail because of that principle that we are sinful and we are weak. And so we need to consider this. We, we, we need to think deeply about how true this is because look, some may argue we are the most advanced with our technology and with our science, 
When it comes to our understanding of human nature, whether it be in sociology or philosophy or psychology, that, that we've come a long way even religiously in how we understand whether any, really any religion, but yet, are we any more just? Are we any more loving? Is our world any less full of war and violence and racism and sexism and abuse and murder? Is there any less corruption and greed and deceit? No. For, for all of the things we've been able to accomplish, for all of our effort, for all of our advancements, we still fail and we fail miserably. This is a reminder over and over and over again. Every day you turn on the news, every day you get on social media, here's what's screaming at you. The flesh is weak. The flesh is sinful. We are flawed. We are broken. We are desperately and helplessly beyond our own ability to fix what is wrong in us. And so this verse, this verse 3, humbles us with this truth. It points us to just how deep the problem is and why the law, why, why a moral code handed to us and say, hey, follow this, will never set us free. Because we are far too selfish, we're far too prideful, we're full of greed and lust and dishonesty. We use others for our own ends. And here's what's else. what else. Even the good that we do. Apart from the grace of God, the good that we do is selfish. Look, if you're trying to earn God's favor by your good works, then you're doing that for you. It's selfish. It's about what you can gain. Look, if you're being a good moral person so that no one thinks that you're racist or sexist or greedy or a liar, guess what? You're doing it for yourself. And so no matter how we slice it, we are toxically turned inward. The flesh is weak, the, the flesh is broken, the flesh is sinful. We are, it's just our default nature to think of self first. So we are trapped in this power apart from the grace of God. This, this being set free from the law of sin and death is not anything we can do on our own. And here's what, what else. Here's, a, here's another sign of just how deep this goes. Because what do we do with all the brokenness? What do we do with all the sin? What do we do with all the guilt? that we can feel. Well, we truly know that we're trapped in sin's grasp, that because apart from Christ, on our own, in our flesh, even guilt doesn't motivate us to change. Even guilt can't transform us enough to get us to change. Psychiatrist Robert Stoller makes this interesting observation about our guilt. He writes this, it is easier to feel guilty and to pay a prescribed price than to change. In most of its forms, guilt is a bargain we strike with ourselves. Its presence indicates we have decided that doing what we should do is too much trouble. So in our flesh, we would rather do what we want to do and just deal with the guilt than actually change. You see, guilt is a terrible motivator. It could be because we take our guilt and we'll bury it, we'll, we'll try to escape it, and maybe we do that psychologically, or maybe we'll do it with pleasure and escape and entertainment, or maybe we're just gonna minimize things, or maybe we'll try to uh, deal with our guilt by doing a bunch of really good things in order to sort of maybe offset the bad things that we've done. So all of that, 
rather than repent and rather than turn to the Lord, we, we, we try to deal with things our own way. We'd rather hold on to the things we want to do. And in all of that burying our guilt and all that trying to deal with guilt on our own terms, we remain in our sin. We remain trapped and stuck and powerless to deal with our sin. When we live by our flesh, even when we hate our sin, hear me on this, even when we hate our sin, if we stay in our flesh, we will still love it. It's almost the spiritual schizophrenia because we're going to hate it because we're going to hate how we feel. We're going to see that it actually does some destruction. And because we still do have a conscience, we recognize its, its destructive power. But because we're still in our flesh and going by our own power, we would rather hold on to that and try to just deal with it on our own rather than let go, rather than doing the impossible task of repenting and truly looking at the depths of our depravity and our sin and our helplessness and our dying to ourselves. Look, our pride and our selfishness go so deep. Our weakness in our flesh is so deep. We cannot escape its center of gravity. Is this you this morning? I, I, I would wonder, is this how you're dealing with your guilt? Are, are you looking at your guilt? You're looking at your sin and you'd say, yeah, I hate it and I hate that I feel guilty but you still hold on to it. You still love it more than you would let go of it and die to it. Is it that you're trying to deal with your guilt through other means, whether it be burying it, whether it be escaping it with pleasure, or whether trying to offset through a bunch of good deeds and religious action? Look, all of that isn't going to change things. Me throwing a bunch of moral laws at you, saying you need to do this and this and this and this and this, behavior modification, look, it isn't going to change you. It, it, it may help you become a little bit more disciplined here and there, but you're fundamentally still going to love your sin. You're fundamentally still going to hold on to your sin. Sin will still be the thing that holds you in its power. That weakness will still define you. And the law of sin and death will dominate you. This is why... We need God. This is why we need to God to step in and do what we cannot. This is why Paul makes the point in Romans that God's law can't save us, that God's law wasn't intended to save us because that's still pointing to our performance. Rather, God's law shows us that we can't perform. God's law shows us just how broken and just how sinful we are and that we need God himself to step in, that we need God's power to come in and redeem us. And this is why the gospel is good news, friends, because as verse three starts, God has done, God has done what the law, what rules could not. God has done what our weak flesh and our sinful flesh cannot do. The good news of the gospel is that God steps in and takes matter, matters into his own hands. The good news of the gospel is this, that salvation isn't dependent upon you. You can't earn it. You can't achieve it. You can't gain enough knowledge. You can't achieve enough discipline. It is all a work of the Lord. And so look, for the prideful, for those of you stuck in your pride, this should humble you. This should confront you. This should remind you you're weak. You're sinful. You cannot achieve this on your own. 
but for the despairing, for the broken, for those who have come to an end of themselves and recognize that they can't. The gospel holds out hope for you. The gospel holds out a message of salvation and redemption for you. It says God has done his power, his salvation through Christ. And here is what God has done. God has set us free. He's broken the power of sin and death by, as verse 3 says, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. In love, God the Father sends Jesus Christ, his son, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Meaning this, Jesus became fully human, yet without sin. Jesus became fully human, but he did not have a sinful nature like you and I. And so it's important for us to recognize, yes, Jesus, human, just like us, but without sin. Perfect. And then this means that Jesus perfectly keeps keeps God's law. Perfectly walks in righteousness and goodness and justice. He, He perfectly keeps truth and tells truth. His heart, his mind, his emotions are perfectly in tune with who God is and in obedience to his Father. There is no sin in Jesus. There was no sin in him and there is no sin in him. There is no moral or spiritual weakness in Jesus. And this is the good news for us. Jesus lived the perfect life for us. Jesus lived the life that you and I could never live because we're sinful and weak. And he did that for us. He did for you what you couldn't do. And in that, in in, in that doing for you what you could never do, that love not only leads him to live a perfect life, but it also leads him to the cross. It it leads him to willingly lay down his life as an atonement for sin. You see, God sends Jesus into the world to deal with sin, to deal with this law of sin and death, this power of sin and death. And so God sends him to be a sacrifice for sin, a sacrifice that fully pays sin's penalty, fully breaks sin's power. Because on the cross, Jesus takes the sin's of his people on himself. Every evil word, every lie told, every lust felt, fantasized, and acted upon. All of our greed, all of our sinful anger, all of our cowardice, all of our manipulation, all of our selfishness and our pride and our abuse and our murder, all of the sin that we have committed or will commit, God condemns that sin in Jesus. God judges that sin in Jesus. If you are in Christ, that means that the sin that you should be judged for, the sin that you deserve to be judged for, God has judged it. He's condemned it in Christ, in the flesh of Jesus. He he pours out his full righteous wrath against sin on Jesus. And because Christ perfect because he was sinless. That payment is perfect. That payment pays for all our sin. Every sin that we've committed or will commit has been condemned in Christ. He alone, because he is the sinless Savior, he alone could fully pay for our sins. He alone can atone for our sin fully and break sin's power. When Jesus cries, it is finished. He is declaring no more need for atonement, no more need for judgment, no more need for 
us to try to earn our salvation. No, if we are in Christ, all of that has been paid in Jesus. So what the law couldn't do, what we couldn't do, God has done through Christ. And the beauty is, is that in the resurrection of Jesus, we see the law of sin and death has no more power. The law of sin and death has been broken for those who are in Jesus. And so for us, what, what we need to do in light of what God has done is rather than holding on to our sin, how we repent of it and we turn to Christ. Or rather than burying our guilt or escaping it or minimizing it, rather than just sort of making peace with it, no, we run to Jesus and we receive the gift of salvation, believing that his death paid for our sin, but believing that our guilt has been dealt with, that, that our sin was condemned in him. And if our sin has been condemned in him, that means there's no condemnation for us. This is the good news of the gospel. What God has done. Friends, we should turn. We should turn from our own power. We should turn from our weak flesh and run to the grace and the power and love in light of what God has done. And, and here where our ho- is our hope. Here, here, here's what God is up to in condemning sin in the flesh and breaking the power of sin and death. Here's what verse tells us that God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, through Christ, the power of sin is broken, and the law is fulfilled in us. Catch this. It says that the law is fulfilled in us, meaning the law is perfectly kept in us. How can this be for weak sinful people who fail over and over and over again. How can the law, how can perfection be found in us? Well, notice the language here. The law is fulfilled in us, meaning there's a passivity here. We don't fulfill it. It has been fulfilled in us by God. Here is the good news of the gospel, is that the righteousness that Christ earned, his perfect obedience, his perfectly keeping the law, his perfect standing before God as the sinless Savior, that righteousness has been given to us. So we stand before God perfectly righteous, not in our own righteousness, not because of our performance, not because we got up and we read our Bible every day for the past three weeks, not because we've been controlling our anger so well, not because we haven't lusted, not because we haven't experienced greed in our hearts. Yes, all of those things are good that we grow in godliness, but our standing before God isn't because of any of those things. Our fulfilling the law isn't because we were able to keep those things. No, the law is fulfilled in us because the righteousness of Christ has been given to us. And this is what God is up to in saving us. He is up to not just freeing us from the guilt and condemnation of sin, but setting us free from its power so that we may stand before him holy, blameless, righteous. Those who are loved and adopted into God's family. So when God sees you, he sees you as one whom the law has been perfectly fulfilled. So there's a wonderful transformation, a wonderful renewal that that has taken place and is taking place in us. Because here's what else happens. When the law is perfectly fulfilled in us through Christ, that power that is in us begins to cause us to walk in such a way 
that we actually live out what it means to follow the law. And here is the, the sum of the law, loving God and loving others. And so when, when we have been united to Christ, when we've been renewed in Christ, when we've been set free from the law of sin and death and the power of Christ is at work in us, what happens? We begin to live for the love of God and love of others. And this is why Paul makes such an important point here at the end. He says that this happens for those who walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. And so our life now is not lived in great moral effort. It's not as if God wiped the slate clean and now said, okay, I've, I've cleared out your debt, now go do better. Now go put forth your best discipline, put forth your best effort, and, and do your best here. I've, I've given you another chance. Uh, as um, a, a pastor once said, God is not a God of second chances. That's too low a bar. God is a God of resurrection. God completely transforms and renews us and empowers us to live and to love him and love others, not through our own efforts, but as we walk according to the Spirit. And here's what this means. Walking according to the Spirit means that we now live from this place of supernatural transformation. You have been changed. You have been redeemed. You have been transformed. A new power lives within you. You live by a new power. It's no longer the power of sin and death. That, that isn't what's controlling you. That's not what has a hold of you. Rather, you walk according to the Spirit. The Spirit has transformed you. The Spirit is the power by which you now live, the power by which your mind and your heart are oriented to what's controlling you, what's changing you, what's compelling you. It's the Spirit. Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have turned from our sin and turned to God and trusting in Christ's work on our behalf, we're walking by the Spirit, and this is the power in us. Our hearts are now alive with a new power. We have new desires, a new orientation for how we see the world. We walk according to the Spirit, which means that our hearts are not so much about checking a box and, and being able to fulfill a list, a bunch of rules. This is where I think we can miss what Christianity is about. Because if we think Christianity is just about following a bunch of rules, we miss. That's not the point. That's going back to a fleshly mindset. That's going back to trying to live by our own efforts. Yes, God has a standard of righteousness, and he calls us to that. As followers of Jesus, we are meant to live in a particular way. That's clearly defined in Scripture. However, we're not oriented to a checklist. We're oriented to a person. We're oriented to Christ. We're motivated and we're empowered by his spirit. And so we live for Jesus. We live to love Christ and to serve Christ and to worship Christ. And that leads us to love and serve others and to proclaim the gospel. And so walking according to the spirit church means that Jesus is in view. And we know that his power is at work within us. And we live by that power we're encouraged by that power. We're strengthened by that power. That power is the, the thing we run to when we fail, when we do sin. That power is what we depend upon in our weakness and when we are suffering and when we're trying to walk in a way that glorifies God. And so we've, we're done with the flesh. We're done with our own power. We're done with our checklists and our, and our trying to keep a particular standard to earn something or to feel better about ourselves. No, we rest 
in the power of the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit, God's very presence living in us that has transformed us and is transforming us. This is what God has done, friends. So this morning, if you're prideful, oh, you need to be humbled. You need to look fully into the depth of your weakness, the depth of your sin, the depth of your pride and your rebellion and your selfishness. You need to see that you're helpless and you're powerless. And you need to let that move you away from self, move you away from trying to do this on your own. But for those of you that are despairing, those of you that recognize your weakness and you feel helpless because you feel powerless, you, maybe you feel shame and the guilt feels overwhelming, and nothing that you do seems to deal with that. Hey, that's a good place to be because now you're ready to receive the grace and the forgiveness and the transformation and the love and the power of God in your life. And so for the prideful, be humble. But for the despairing, take hope in the power of the gospel for you. So church, as we navigate this time, as we navigate having to deal with an extended trial, as we navigate our own failures and our own weaknesses that are probably in so many ways being thrown up in front of us, as we, as we come to the end of our rope, as we wear out, as we get tired, as, as we recognize we're not as strong as we think, let us throw ourselves onto the grace of God. Let us remind ourselves, let us look to what God has done and see that his power is available to us. His power is present with us. His power has set us free. His power shows us that we don't have to do this on our own. We shouldn't do this on our own. But here is the loving, gracious God that sends Christ to us to redeem and renew us and empower us. So let us walk according to the Spirit in this season and in the days and weeks and months to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you bring us to the end of ourselves. Thank you that though we can be so prideful, though we can try to do things on our own, though we can hold on to our sin, though we can think we can navigate guilt and all of that, we see that we're weak. We see that we fail. We see that we're sinful. Father, bring us to the end of ourselves, not so that we fall into despair and are crushed by guilt and allow self-pity to control us, but rather bring us to the end of ourselves so that we see what you have done. We see that you have sent Christ and that you have condemned sin in the flesh and that you fulfill the righteous requirement of the law in us and that we stand before you righteous and holy. Father, may we run to your grace. May we run to Jesus and may we walk according to the Spirit. May we, re may we be oriented to you and oriented to Christ. Father, we need these truths to sustain us in this season. We need this to be not only the identity by which we live, but the power by which we live. So help us, Father, even this morning, to more deeply depend upon you, to more fully run to you, and find our joy in you. May, may this morning, may we just celebrate 
what you have done. May, may that be the truth that is echoing in our ears in the days and the weeks to come. God has done. You have done. We praise you that you are a God who has done, who has accomplished, who has finished the work of redemption through Jesus. And we praise you that one day Christ is going to return and finish the restoration project. And so we look to that day. But until that day, we put our hope in you. We love you and we worship you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you again for being with us. I hope that you have a good rest of your morning as you worship with your family. And Lord bless you. Hang in there. And Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.